0: Hey, Is welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. And did you miss me? I don't think I gave you a chance to miss me. We just did that live episode with uh, writer Jerry Duggan at no Stanley's way. LA Comic Con. And uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, we've got filmmaker Joe Lynch on today. Not as good as Jerry Duggan. <laughs> Jerry Duggan's amazing. He so. is
1: the best. I worked with him years ago. He's, he's the amazing. Shit. I mean, and he's the stuff. Sorry.
0: If you want to know what we're talking about, you can totally go back on the feed and uh, listen to the live Geekscape that we did at Stanley's LA Comic Con. Uh, where we talked to Jerry about, obviously, Gardens of the Galaxy, Deadpool, and uh, everything else he's been doing, and the origins of him as a comic book writer. It was a lot of fun to do another live episode. I want to do tons of live episodes in the future. And, um, yeah, uh, we've been doing a lot of great shows. Greg McLean, the uh, filmmaker behind Wolf Creek, did the show uh, right before him? So there's tons of stuff coming out on the Geekscape podcast, and now it's going all downhill. And we're going to go so downhill with director Joe Lynch scraping uh, the bottom of the cinematic barrel. I don't think so, Joe. Like uh, I wanted to have you on the show for a while, and I and I love you. Uh, I think I, I, no, I just think that um, the rock and roll approach to filmmaking is something that, uh, as indie film, like as the oasis of indie film, kind of dries up and. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you you find like less and less of the rock and roll vo- voices and more and more uh, in the indie mindset of how do I, A, cater to premiere festival or mm-hmm. B, cater to getting a Star Wars movie or being fired from a Star Wars movie within two films. You know what I mean? So, not so, to
1: say that I'm not working on that <laughs> I currently.
0: Well, my dream used to be. My dream is
1: now to get fired off yeah, of a Star Wars yeah, movie. My,
0: my, I remember when, uh, when the last four boys uh, got fired off of Han Solo or just Solo. Um, yeah, Chris and Phil. Yeah Phil, I was like I was like oh my dream used to be to do a Star Wars movie now my dream is get fired from a Star Wars movie because But then confirmed weeks later when Colin was dropped out you know right. so so it's like it's becoming a trend I think
1: you haven't made it until no. Kathleen Kennedy has given you the boot
0: cuz I mean after a while it was like oh you're only one or two movies away from I mean as a before you even make a movie you're, you're still one or two movies you away never from a know. Star Wars
1: <laughs> especially now like the way that the the climate is and you you look at certain filmographies and go like wow that filmmaker went from this you know, clown, little indie movie, you know, like, like clown, like John yeah. Watts, w- uh-huh. which I wouldn't call cute and cuddly, no, but um, in any respect, but like he'd had that and in he had cop, cop car, car yeah. which you look at cop car and you go, there's a guy that's hungry and wants to make a movie that for the masses. And uh-huh. but he picked a, a you know, a, a subgenre which is like the, the neo noir. <laughs> and he worked with, you know, kids, which is big. No, no. In most cases, like you don't, I've worked with kids before and they're great, but usually there's that adage of like, don't work with kids and dogs or Rip Torn. And right. uh, and thankfully, I have not worked with uh, all three of those simultaneously. But when you look at the Cop Car, especially now, like I remember seeing Cop Car in the theater and this was after it was announced that he was doing it. So there's that that, that feeling like, like, does he have yeah, the chops? We'll and you watch got. that movie and you go between Kevin Bacon's performance and those kids – yeah, I think he would be just fine as Spider and doing Spider Man. Then you see it and you're like, "Holy shit!" Or you know James Gunn when he's doing Super. You know, right. now, James had a storied career before Super. Yeah. But you go from Super, which was like a one million dollar scrappy little indie superhero movie that like more of like a Death Wish movie than a superhero
0: movie. Yeah, it's really nihilistic. It's it's a
1: it's a crazy movie. But then to see him kind of take the same techniques and the same voice and transfer that in a much larger milieu a lot of times it works, you mm-hmm. know, and then sometimes it doesn't
0: work out. You yeah, know? I, I just uh, whenever I'm telling people just like go back to like brain dead slash dead alive and just look when they're like looking for the Sumerian rat monkey. Even before that, you know look, at, I mean? look like, at bad taste. You can and look at all meet all that the stuff. Feebles. And it's like you can just see Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. If you look
1: at if you look at Peter Jackson's first movie, Bad Taste, yeah. which was uh, this labor of love. It took seven years to make. But it got him
0: to can. It, that's crazy. Thing, it's like,
1: but that's that's the. Like I was just talking to someone earlier about this today. It's like, what other job? Which I don't even consider it a job. It's a, to me, it's it's like it's a passion. So I get lucky every every once in a while when someone actually pays me. Yeah. But what other job out there? You make decisions on the day, and you can prep for six months, six weeks, six hours, or whatever. But the decisions that you make on the day, in that moment, are then going to be seen around the world. Forever, or mm-hmm. at least as long as whatever format is putting it on at that time. Yeah, not a lot of jobs allow you to do that. So it, it's it's amazing to see how you know filmmakers like myself, and you know, and there's tons of indie directors who have started you know very small and just kind of work their way up. Or there's filmmakers who do one film and then they just kind of get, get given the golden ticket, and right. then now you're doing like a Jurassic World Hope or whatever. Step up. <laughs> yeah. it's it, it, it's it's always a, a dream, but at the same time, like plumbers don't get that kind of thing, you know, like... like Food services, like maybe you'll make the, you know the meal that someone will remember, like in Ratatouille, where it's like it
0: brought me back to my childhood. Sure, and movies can do that for sure. And movies, I mean, yeah. a
1: lot of times filmmakers are are counting on that kind of nostalgia. Like, like <laughs> I want you to feel like you did when you were twelve when you were watching The Road Warrior for the first time.
0: Well, let me introduce you real quick, uh, Geekscape, because we came right out of the gate, which is awesome. But, Sorry, I couldn't help no, myself. No, this is what Geekscape is about. But uh, real quick, if you don't know who Joe is, I don't know how you've listened to eleven years of Geekscape. For some of you who have listened to eleven years of Geeks. But uh, he uh, he started right out of the gate with one of the uh, Wrong Turn sequels. Yep. But then he started doing stuff that was really genre. He worked with uh, former Geekscape guest Eddie Shankar on that Secret Venom like oh, short man. film. Was I just,
1: still I I adore that that experience and it. that short. Yeah, it was fun.
0: Um, and then of course, like he's got this uh that show Holliston with Adam Green, who we interviewed a few times for Hatchet. Um, and yeah, uh, Everly, and then he's got this new movie um, called Mayhem, which I watched. It's got Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead. Maybe I mean, it depends on how caught up you are The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> but for, for um, a good a good chunk, no good pun chunk intended, of uh, like of The Walking Dead, like he had, he had a good run. <laughs> and the movie comes out November tenth. Yes, uh, and is again like crazy nihilistic rock and roll uh, film. But we will talk about it. What I want to say is is that we just were talking about how this industry is unique and obviously we've, we recently had like this story of like people getting a little beyond their own grasp with other individuals, you know, with like the Weinstein stuff and all this stuff going on. Does it lend itself this particular um, like industry to like some celebration of ego in that way? Because when you have an industry where you're making things that like you said will be remembered for years and is that way forever are does do they really attract the type of person who wants to just put a stamp of like permanency out there? And like, what kind of person does that attract? It's just something I've been folding in my no, own it, head.
1: It's, it's something that like with, with all of this, you know, the, the Me Too movement coming out and the, you know, the team rose and, and people finally speaking up about it, you know, this is something that, has kind of been in the world of the industry, so to speak. Mm -hmm. If you want to look back as far as when they first opened the gates at like Paramount or when they were first making the MGM studios back in the day, like the the promise of stardom and the promise of being a celebrity or the promise of, of, you know, entertaining the world and being a showman is a very magnetic thing. You know, it's something that I think, Everyone <clears throat> in one form or another in one point in their lives, especially when we're so surrounded by the, the arts and you're, you're inundated with TV and you're, you know, you're blasted with movies, especially when we were growing up, and music and, and, and the arts in general. And when there's artists out there that make it seem so effortless, sure. it makes everyone go like, I could do that. Yeah. And there is, there's, there's a magnetism to it. And that's why there's, you know, for the longest time, it was always like, who the fresh faces coming off the bus in Hollywood, you yeah. know? And that, that kind of adage has been around, that stereotype has been around forever. And of course, in any industry, not just the in- entertainment one, but, you know, in, in any, in any industry that allows people to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. you know, to take advantage of the promise, you know, the brass ring, the carrot dangling in front of you, There's going to be people out there that are going to, you know, exploit that and they're going to, you know, be predators and they're going to take advantage of situations where it's like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I mean, that's in any business, but when it comes to the movies and you're dealing with, you know egos and you're dealing with you know beautiful people on or both like, sides or like
0: the the celebration of like a singular vision you know what i mean like oh it's a singular vision This pretty like an, a, this person, either an auteur or they're a, or they're a beautiful face and like you know it, but the media yeah. and the public and has we all, all buy into it we've not only bought into it but we've championed it mm-hmm. you know
1: the, i mean i grew up in the era in the 70s and 80s where the auteur theory was really the thing you mm-hmm. know like i didn't think of When when I was growing up, I was that geek that would, I knew who John Landis was when I was like five or six, and I knew who Spielberg was, and I knew who Toby Hooper and Francis Ford Coppola, anybody with a beard, a hat, and and tinted sunglasses, (laughs) I kind of knew who you were. (laughs) Right. But I became fans of theirs through their body of work, and and they they were my rock stars. You Mm -hmm. know, like I was into music, but not like I was into movies, so... You know, those guys were my Sex Pistols. They were my, you know, my Van Halen. They were my the bands that I would follow around. Maybe not to from concert to concert, but it was from film. Absolutely, they're opening. They were celebrities. They were our rock stars. And what do we do with rock stars? We champion them. We we put them up on a you know on a higher pillar. We sexualize them. We make them into you know um, celebrities, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you know the, the the culture, the way that it was back then, as it is now. I think there was the. Uh, I guess you can say it was just a fallacy, a little bit, you know. Especially now that I've been in the "quote unquote" the business for you know at least making features for ten years, but even before that, you know, you see it in every department. You see, you see how people can take advantage of the, the situation at hand to allow someone to kind of either better their career or inflate their ego by taking advantage of another person, and that's just commonplace. It's just now, I think, between you know social media being so prevalent and giving people voices who might not have had voices before and obviously the set of circumstances that's recently arisen in the last i mean since Cosby really right. seemed to be like the genesis of this to to watch you know things that were always kind of like unspoken you know there were there were just things that people just you know either Brushed aside or said like that's well, not my business. So they you didn't know. have an outlet. Now everyone has a voice. Now right? everyone has an outlet, you know, and for better or for worse, because now you have people who are going to take advantage of that as well. And it, it's it's both exciting and gratifying to see it finally happen, relieving, but it's also a little terrifying because it can be that that can be abused too. So it, it's a it's a weird time I think right right now to be like in in any form of the spotlight because there's always going to be someone who. Just doesn't like you, whether you try to be the nicest person in the world, like myself, where I'm just like, hey, everybody, like me, you know, <laughs> and you know, or at least just like, please don't hate me. Right. And there's always going to be someone who's like jerk and will want to. And you get that. It happens to everybody. Right. It happens to everybody. Like not everyone. Like that was something that <clears throat> I had this like willie Loman complex back in the day when I first started making movies, or even before that, when I was making shorts and music videos or whatever. And there was this constant need to be liked. And and it was a constant need to please someone, whereas maybe I wasn't really pleasing myself as an artiste. So yeah, to speak. I mean, what's
0: the most straight? I mean, do you you ever do that thing where you just make something that you're like, oh, that's flat because I'm not in. You know, there's nothing in it. There's, there was no investment in it. Like, yeah, like you just you're just like, oh, it's, it's a gig, dead, dead it, on arrival. It's yeah. one on.
1: It's one for them. Like like, luckily with. <clears throat> with all of my features, maybe not Nights of Bad just because it got so mired in production woes and investor bull crap. And, right. And in the end, like, I I look at it, I look back at it and I have nightmares and panic attacks. Sure, But once that movie came out, it slowly – and, you know, we kind of got past the controversy that, that was – kind of developed even more on social media and from you know the blogosphere and the you know, i just remember the, media. the
0: movie took forever to come out like if for a movie that sent, seemed like it was we catered, shot that
1: in 2010 yeah and it didn't come out until like 2013 2014 for a know? movie that was
0: like catered to geekscapist oh god like oh my god like there's a ren fair or like they're larping and it's got summer glow in it and it's got it's, peter it's, dinklage in it and it's, it's, it's like, comic-con cat oh and i'm sitting here watching this movie <laughs> and i remember like year after year being like when? when's this damn movie coming out? When when and then when it came out it, it just felt like oh that okay oh, ca- that was it it,
1: it, it came out like, it was kind of like, like you you holding a fart for so long and then in the end sometimes
0: sometimes it comes out with a big bra and sometimes it sometimes it reverses direction and comes out your face which oh, is like even very violent. Well, Incredibly it definitely violent. splattered
1: in my face for at least a while. But <laughs> I mean, was it funny, the edit?
0: On, I mean, obviously, like oh like, like maybe you had an unmoving shark there. Like, could, you know, how you no, hear, no you hear the, like Spielberg. Sadly, like, the,
1: had nightmares still about the shark. Sadly, the shark was uh, was not the uh, the creature or anything. There, sure. We had some creature problems as well, but the shark was more the you get that uh, with creatures. The, the, yeah. the producer and the investors, not uh, not all the producers. Uh, one producer slash investor in particular, the guy who ran the company, was uh, a shark of another sort.
0: Well, did he? Did he not know what the hell he was giving his money to?
1: No, <laughs> like, I don't think he did. Like, I honestly don't think he did. Because, because we delivered what we promised and he went, no. Which is like a
0: celebration movie. Like, yeah, like, exactly. I know, like, I know but you it was one, I see what you do and it's a celebration of this stuff.
1: I went in going, I want to make the Goonies for grown-ups. And in the end, they wanted to make something more akin to like, I guess role models meet Scott Pilgrim in a way. You know, just because that was like the trend at the time. And, and the guy th- said, I remember him saying specifically, well. I've seen Shaun of the Dead twice, so I know what it's. I know what it takes to make a successful co- horror comedy, and I'm like, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> he just dude. threw you against it, like good luck. But it was other things too. Yeah. It was just like it was investor shenanigans. It ended up being like a Ponzi scheme. So it, it was. It was. It was me kind of caught in the middle of this insane storm. And honestly, I thought like, well, that's it. Like I. I mean, I was in a bad, bad place. Sure. Like, like during the mo- making of the movie, and then when the you know when we were kind of yanked out of the editing, and then kind of waiting.
0: To see what the hell came out. What was going to happen. Frankenstein monster. I,
1: one of the worst experiences of my life was... Um I had not heard from them in six months. <gasps> they told me that, oh, oh no, we got we're bringing in a new producer. Get, like, ulcers He boy, does like, he does the Saw movies, and I'm like, uh oh. And you think uh, your
0: career's over?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, you're like, I was. Fuck. I six I was months done. is a long time I to thought, go silent. I was. I thought I was done. They brought in a new editor, and then I didn't hear anything forever. But we're we'll, we're gonna bring you in. I swear, we're gonna bring you in, and and, and we'll we'll collaborate.
0: I like think you oh, know, there's posters and a release. date. No, I I got a call, <laughs> and it was um I, I actually
1: went to Disneyland for the day with my family just to kind of get my mind off sure. of things and of course i get a call while i'm at disney and the guys like we want you to come in tomorrow we're going to show it really excited to show you we have a brand new cut it's fresh you're going to be you're going to love it the
0: illusion that they're even ca- still catering to you
1: yeah well like yeah. that's crazy so uh so i it kind of threw me off the rest of the day because I'm, I'm sitting there going like, "Oh my god, now I'm going to see my movie. What's going to happen?" <laughs> you're on
0: the cups, like you're spinning yeah. on the cups, like everything just starts going crazy. The like, Bugs Life game, the, like, the Bugs Life ride was ruined. was like a wide angle lens; you're seeing the world all warped.
1: That's what it felt like. <laughs> it felt like me spinning in the teacups, going, "What's going <laughs> to yeah. happen?" So uh, I end up going into this uh, the screening room, and originally, when we first finished, well, when we last when we last saw the cut. Uh, this was in like March of two thousand and eleven I think it was mm-hmm. The cut was at uh, ninety four minutes right. and i was actually I was pretty happy You're with like, it i mean we 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 compromised close. left and right, but we actually found a place where it was like this could work now cool. the effects were completely unfinished sure. it was all temp. But I was like, okay, and then they said, "Well, we don't have any money anymore." I'm like, okay, call me. So six months goes by, and I, they finally say that they have this cut. I go into the screen. Who
0: paid room. for that? If they don't have any money, who knows? Exactly. It's I like have no. It's clue. like don't be telling me you don't have any money, and then all of a sudden somebody else is getting paid to edit the movie. So I go in, and it's me and
1: about twenty of the investors. Now, usually you don't put the creative and the investors in the same room. Sure. It's just for one reason or another, it's just, it just it makes the most sense. It's not the best you won't get the best chemical response from, from anybody. but uh, So I go in and they sit me down and I sat and I watched the new cut of Nights of Bad Astem, which was as far removed from what I was going for as you could possibly get. There's a, there's a weird voiceover now, there's like these title crawls in the beginning, there's this animal house ending where they would just go like, and this person did this, and then that person ended up there, and then these two people got together. It's like, no, nowhere near. Not even the. Tone. And you wrote the original script. Uh, no, I I helped rewrite the original script that Matt Wall and uh, Kevin Dreyfus sure. did, and they were kind of still in the company, so they were kind of stuck.
0: I'm just there. wondering if they had any input on those title. P- uh, or, or as far as I know, entire... it was all
1: written by the the main guy. Like he was the he producer. Just, wrote that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, he so seems like a talented guy. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm watching the movie, and then I'm realizing, like, wow, we're really close to the ending. And I look, and the the cut was currently 74 minutes. Okay. So they took about 22 minutes of of movie out of my film, and those are scenes that like. You need yeah, to tell glue, the story.
0: glue scenes, It's glue, it's glue scenes, to make the yeah.
1: make the magic kind of work. Right. And they completely scrapped the ending. Uh, I found out later because they just didn't want to pay for the effects. Um, and I was like, okay, so it's a good start. All right, you know, being yeah. Mister Positive and Mister Optimistic, I'm like, Shit. great. Let me know when when we can go in. Yeah, we'll we'll give you a call. So after badgering them for months, they finally let me in, and uh, I <laughs> go in for uh, one day. No. And it's like one day to do all my notes, and I had like five, six pages of notes. But there were notes where it's like, "Look, I'm willing to work with you You're guys, working, but yeah. there are things that you just have to do." And one thing, including finishing those effects. When are those going to get yeah. done? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. So I go in, and uh, the producer who was supposed to be there was gone.
0: And you took the high road, like you didn't go be like, "I'm going to get on Twitter." And just, I yeah, did no, their, I didn't. Yeah. I
1: waited on all that sure. shit because there's, like, there's no point in being negative until you really have to be. So. Right. I uh, I go in and uh, it's not even the editor; it's the assistant editor who's there, and I'm like, "Oh, oh okay." Uh, so we start going in? through it, and about by the time we get to lunch, and you know, I've only gotten through like my first page of notes, and he can't even find footage that we were looking for that I knew that we shot and we had in the original cut and we couldn't find. And then, um, and midway through the day, I just I kind of realize something, and I go, "Dude, listen, just let me know." are you going to save any of these changes? And he looked at me and just kind of shook his head like,
0: no. Oh, shit. Like, they, were they, were just, they were just
1: humoring me. So <clears throat> after that, I, I just kind of gave up on the movie altogether because I'm like, it's not my movie at all and I don't know what to do with it. And then I found out that they were selling it. And I'm like, wait, what? But I had all of these uh, distributors start calling me and I had a bunch of people who I guess were like um, journalists who heard about it, who were going to go to the yes, screening and they're like, is this your cut? We're so excited. And I'm like the fuck do I say like you don't even I, know where your cut is I don't at that know point. what it is yeah. so I very slyly to took a picture of a paper cut on a thumb and uh, I posted it on Instagram and I just put the hashtag not my cut. That's all I said right. didn't tag it with koB. I mean it was in the news like the day before that like right. this this movie's being kind of fire sold or whatever and immediately it went viral like i had all these different places going like what does this mean i didn't say shit right. they they actually called my manager and said like we're gonna sue joe for doing this and 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 luke's like where does it say anything about knights of badass I'm on there nothing so how are you gonna sue him and they're like w- w- we'll find a way he's like yeah okay click and, uh, and then someone actually went to the screening and right before the lights went down, someone said, not Joe's cut. I, did, I had no involvement in that whatsoever. But uh, one of the investors and no, one of the distributors later on told me that that happened. I'm like, yeah. that's awesome. But in the end, you know, I've had a lot of people like recently when I've been touring with Mayhem come up to me and say how much they love the movie now. I what the hell is, have you seen this movie? Well like, that like, see what, that's what that's always been my response. Of course I've seen the the, the finished film. Yeah. It ended up being like, I guess, eighty-two or whatever. They took a little bit of my advice and said, you can't release a seventy-four minute film, guys. Like that just well, looks bad for Dumbo us. Dumbo
0: did it, but Dumbo is. It can be done. I mean,
1: look at Creep. You know, the right. original Creep is like seventy six, seventy eight minutes, and it's great. This movie just couldn't I felt it didn't it couldn't sustain itself. So I was that guy that anytime someone said anything, can we free a movie? I'm like, nah, yeah, well, just, no, it sucks. Can we, can we free your movie? Is that what you said? I, I kind of. <laughs> yeah. I was like, look, it's not, it's not my cut. I would just, I would right. be really down on it. Oh, okay, can't wait for your movie. Yeah. yeah right, yeah, yeah. right before the movie came out. Uh, no, it was actually right after. I had uh, on my own podcast, The Movie Crypt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a Don we had Don Coscarelli on.
0: Oh God, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. So he was an
1: much. inspiration for me from way back in the day. Hearing like this twenty one year old kid made Phantasm, you know, back in the seventies, and then has constantly just kind of paved his own way between Bubba Hotep and John Dies at the End. Texted, all these movies.
0: He texted me. When we were shooting like the this. We we're working on a movie called of the Prophecy, which is like fantasy and pro wrestling, and we were shooting like the sizzle for it, and he sent me an email about promoting John Dies at the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here watching my brother, pro, the pro wrestler, like up on like a rock in a loincloth with a sword doing Beastmaster stuff. Okay. And and then I and I'm sitting here looking at an email from Don Coscarelli, looking it, and I'm like, dude, it's Beastmaster. I, like, like, we are absolutely like. Well, I knew it was Beastmaster because because we I had an iPad full of Beastmaster shots that I was using with my DP to get you know All right, to be like. So so you don't like, so you don't like, know like, this story. It was so fucking beautiful, but I was like I was like. I was like this is cool, but you, you like, grew up with Beastmaster. I, grew, I love Beastmaster. All right, right. I want Mark Singer to be in the finished product. <laughs> like, okay. I love
1: it. So we we have John on the show. We have Don on yeah. the show, and it's great. Like he's 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 just been a champion of my of mine and Adams for years. Like mm-hmm. ever since we first met him, he's just been like the guy that always shows up at the screenings and the guy that's always like telling people about your movies. And we do the same, but like it's freaking Don Coscarelli. Holy crap! So we we're on and. I remember one moment where I go like, "Oh my god, we got to talk about Beastmaster." Beastmaster. No! Like yeah. we're just we're freaking out. We're totally geeking on Beastmaster. And to watch his face Ugh, change. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, "What what what's wrong?" He goes, "They took the cut away from me." And at that very moment, Everything, my whole perspective on Nights of changed.
0: Well, supposedly he was going to do the sequel to Conan. Yeah. And, and his experience on Beastmaster changed his approach to wanting to do that at I think all. it
1: was that that Dino you know, De Laurentiis dealing right. with that whole machine that made sure. him go like, you know what, I think I can kind of, I can do my own thing. But to think about how I and so many of my peers like yourself, we all... Obsessed over Beastmaster and the fucking ferrets and ripped oh, Horn. Yeah, it's absolutely. like there's John just so Saxon. much. There's so much in the in that movie alone that just it's a it's a fun movie. It's a great like to us. It's a great movie. movie.
0: Could you imagine a better version? Oh shit! I, I would love that. Like yes. if
1: anything, let's do the remake. But. The 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 perception that we had on the movie, based on the perception that he had on his own film, was wildly divergent. And
0: you feel that that was what went on with *Knights of Badass*. Oh, one hundred
1: and fifty percent.
0: I'm scared like, of the movie. Like, honestly, Joe, like, I didn't see the movie because of how, like what happened and everything. And I and I was scared of it. I'm like, this is a movie that was made for me, and I feel like I'm just going to get like heartbroken.
1: That's that's where things changed for me. Where like I I stopped.
0: She's not my girlfriend anymore. I stopped
1: <laughs> bitching about the movie. Like, dude, it was, it was one of those things where I just I had to kind of let go because, and it's a very valuable lesson I think every filmmaker should know is like, it's your movie until it's released, and then mm-hmm. once it's released, it's not your movie anymore because you can't control whatever baggage anyone comes into watching the movie, whether it's in a theater or on the big screen or on a tiny screen or on your phone. You can't sit there unless you have like a. No. commentary track or whatever, or even our standing next to them going like, Okay, in this scene I I totally didn't have enough time to do this, but and, and then the you know, actress got sick and it started to rain. It's like all these things that like It's not like it wasn't your movie gonna, before
0: it was released either. But I uh, No, yeah. it definitely wasn't. Like yeah.
1: like up until a point I, I thought I had a good grasp on it based on like the the situation at hand and the, the restrictions that we were given. But in in the end, like it wasn't and I had some really hard times from that. And now I don't. I kind of joke about it, like, oh yeah, that movie or whatever. But there are so many people who genuinely love that movie because they don't have any context as to what I was going for. None. Sure. You know, there's no commentary track of me going like, nope, nope, that's not how it's supposed to happen. None of that. And people have just been watching it on face value, especially since it's been on Netflix, where they're just kind of casually going through, going like, oh man, Game of Thrones isn't on. Like, hey, there's Dinklage, you (laughs) know, and they start watching this wacky movie that. You know, it 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 has kind of uh, garnered a life of its own in a way. So I can't I can't beat the movie up on myself. I can only beat myself up on it. Sure. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that like the, the the movie has a fan base, and I've been reminded that like almost ad nauseum since March when when mayhem has been kind of taking sure. me all over the place. There is always people who come up to me like, oh my god, why isn't there Nights of Badass to merch? I am like, yeah, it would be, it would be nice. You, well, you didn't do anything
0: wrong, about be a team player. No, no, you didn't like, do anything wrong. But the best, do was, what they hired you to do, which is be a team player and deliver this movie
1: exactly. So, you know, but, but our visions no were completely different, and you know, I don't have any regrets to anybody but the asshole who like <laughs> screwed us. So, no, that guy sucks. Like that, that yeah. guy, that that guy's got like seven lawsuits against him, and he, and rightfully so. But whatever. You so know, when like, you
0: saw the script of uh, Mayhem, and you, and you saw like the, the Stephen Brand role. Was well, it hard for you to personify? Him you know, what's really funny. <laughs> that is a very good question.
1: The guy that uh, the the guy that um, uh, we were kind of referring to because you
0: also you didn't write uh, this script. Um, no, no, Matthias Caru- uh, yeah.
1: Caruso wrote the script, and when we were casting that movie, um, there are some very uh, big similarities between the boss mm-hmm. and that guy. You know, well, like, describe
0: the movie because because um, the geekskeepers who've been listening know that Greg McLean was on the show. Two week, uh, well, I think last week or the week before, and we were talking about the Belko experiment and Jungle and, 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 and all these jung- movies. He's great. He's I amazing. love. I, we've had Greg on our show too, and I've been a fan of
1: Greg since since Wolf Creek. Greg's since incredible. I saw it at uh, at Sundance, and I was just like, Whoa, yeah. holy cow! This is something else. And I've been following his work ever since. And uh
0: but this movie is similar in its commentary of corporate structure. Yeah, like, like and it's, Belco- and it's got oh, it's not the same movie, guys. It's not the same movie. It's just not. You, you can well, definitely it, it's, love it's very both. much
1: like um like someone at the premiere at uh at Beyond Fest kind of brought this up and I was like, yes, you know what, that's a really good comparison. It's kinda of like if you look at um uh Earth uh asteroid movies that sure. came out in like ninety-six, ninety seven where you had deep impact. And then you had Armageddon. Perfect. You know, it's like two very solid movies, two very very clear visions from the directors, but two different tones. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Deep Impact was going for something more to like to, akin to a real kind of uh, disaster movie with all the you know all human, the tragedy, it human, and, the, yeah. and it was a
0: very human grounded sort of story. Like I just remember Talioni on the beach at the end, and just be like, Ooh. Oh my god, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, and Elijah
1: Woods in that, John Favreau's uh-huh. in it as an astronaut. It's like it's definitely worth watching. But then you have Armageddon. And Armageddon is pure Bayham. It's it's deliberately telling you from the first five minutes of the movie that this is a roller coaster ride.
0: And I love the story that that Affleck tells. Oh about. my god! Like he's like, wouldn't it be easier to just set, like train astronauts in oil drilling than send oil drillers to be astronauts? And Michael Bay just goes, "Shut the fuck up!" And that was the end of the. Enjoy your new teeth, Affleck.
1: <laughs> yeah, like and and that I think is just it's all down to tone. And like so, so the movie, uh, so mayhem is in a nutshell. It's a movie about a dangerous virus named uh, the ID seven virus that makes you, uh, if you're infected, you lose your inhibitions. So if you're repressing any anger, well, that's gone. You you're horny for you know a coworker or a friend or you know who or whoever else. Yeah, those um, those limitations are gone. And what happens if this kind of uh, emotional palate cleanser? gets released in a law firm. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, like when, when they sent me the script and it just had the log line, I was like, who doesn't want to see a bunch of lawyers beating the shit out of each other? This sounds intriguing. Sure. So, uh, but when I got the script, I was actually working a corporate job. I was in a cubicle and they always say like, well, when did the script land on your desk? It actually landed on my <laughs> cubicle <laughs> desk and and I read it in one sitting. And there and, may have been
0: people in that cubicle office that you wanted to beat the shit out of
1: uh no comment uh well (laughs) no i've commented many times uh no look you know that job was a means to an end sure. and i've done many corporate jobs you know in between movies because movies just don't make the money that you can and you don't have the you know flexibility or there's just not n- there there's no development deals and people just can't sit on their laurels anymore right you know, if you're a director in most cases you're a working class director you yeah. know you're middle class director you're just kind of just trying to
0: make it happen so imagine geeks gave us how exactly. scary that six months period was that we were talking it, about it's, earlier yeah. it's
1: awful you know and and I went I got into this business thinking like I would at least have a little bit of flexibility. You just don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm working this job and I'm just trying to pay the bills or whatever. And but my job had the title creative in it, and yet a lot in a lot of cases, I didn't feel very creative. I felt like a cog in the in the machine. Now, I was a cog in the machine. That's just kind of that was my role but it wasn't fulfilling and the you know the passive aggression that was just being kind of thrown around a at lot the of office people, oh yeah. god it's just it's it, it's not a very at least to me and from my perspective it wasn't a very healthy environment to to work in um as, as hard as everyone tries to you know make people feel comfortable and have free bagels on Thursday and stuff there's just something about it that's it's a weird petri dish of of passive aggression and Do you have
0: your Hawaiian shirt Fridays
1: uh, no, we had, had well, weirdly what? enough that the, uh, the way that the company worked was you could kind of work, you know, wear whatever you wanted. Uh, but most people wore, were very formal. I was Throwing the jerk who wore, down. well, I was the jerk <laughs> who was wearing, you know, Hawaiian shirts on Wednesdays. Sure. Like I was just sure. like, well, I'm the director, so I can do whatever I want. It's as creative my title. Uh, exactly. What do you you know, I, I used that and, um, and so I read the script and I went, oh man, like in the past I've wanted to make these movies like I wanted to make a splatter um, I wanted to make a splatter homage with Wrong Turn 2 I wanted to make the Goonies for grown ups with Nights of him I wanted to make Die Hard in a Room with Everly but this was the first one where I went there's, there's like this burning need inside of me that is screaming that I know this character I know, I know what he's been through and I can bring a perspective to this that I feel can both make people relate to the character but also kind of like get some demons out myself in a way. And uh and that was the take that I brought into Circle of Confusion who produced the movie, uh, right down the street. Mm-hmm. And uh and they were totally down with it. And uh and they they also saw that there was like there was a, a kind of an unbridled passion that I had for this movie that I just felt like I could do something with this that I don't think anyone else could.
0: Yeah, uh Geekscape is I mean the movie Stephen Yeun plays uh a character who starts at the like the bottom level uh in this law office and then once the I mean, it's not like, oh, he's the mailroom guy and he has to fight all of his coworkers. No, by the time the, the movie really starts, the narrative uh, and the virus hits and all that, uh, he's already worked himself up to a corner office oh, because yeah. he's, sl- I mean, the the I love the way the, I mean, uh, just from the beginning, uh, I watched this after one of the nights that I was at Stanley's LA Comic Con, so oh, cool. I was like super tired, but you, <clears throat> you came at this movie with an energy I, I kind of haven't seen in your other stuff and it may have been that personal just push to do it? Possibly, and, yeah. And I'm watching the way that I mean, I, I love the way that you're doing the 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 montage shift uh, with the, like in the elevator and, stuff. and everything. And I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, okay, he's present and he's making this damn movie and he's going. And uh basically very quickly in the opening narrative you see the story on the virus, but you also see him uh more, you watch him climb yeah, the corporate, he climbs ladder. A corporate and then, ladder and then and, fall right back down again yeah because you know they they set him up for a fall and so he's got a chip on his shoulder the second this virus hits and he's gonna make people pay i mean if you want to see people getting punished and you want to see some like you know pretty visceral stuff going on on screen definitely watch this it. this is the movie for you it's a lot of fun and um and i enjoy those climb to the top movies like well, it's uh, it's, it's the everyman story,
1: you know. Like you want to see the everyman, the underdog. You want to see them rise up from the ashes. You want to see me. Them... Don't want to kill your boss. Well, if we've done our job, <laughs> then you you hopefully will kind of get your aggressions out through the movie, and we'll hopefully cure your case for the Mondays, so that you don't go postal on your boss. You know, at, at one point or another, that would always be nice. But you no, know, the, the to bring it back also to uh, the Belko experiment because you know <clears throat> I knew Belko was coming. Sure. And I was already kind of developing mayhem and they sent me the Belco script because for like a hot minute they went like, what about Joe Lynch? So sure. I read that script and I went like, wow, this is a, you know, it's the same, but it's like totally, it's totally different. And I loved it. And I was just as I was calling them back going like, because for me, it's like the opportunity to work with James again. Because mm-hmm. we like, I, I didn't even really work with him, but he was kind of going out as I was going in as a writer at Trauma." Sure. So it's like, you know he he was like see you guys i'm going to la and i'm like hey that guy from tromeo bye you know (laughs) but um and we've become friends ever since uh like since i came out here uh he was on Holliston uh Mm -hmm. for an episode he's he's just a great guy um so the the opportunity to work with james on that level was really exciting but like as i'm on the phone going like yeah so about that script like they already hired greg mclean i'm like and and at first i'm like Damn it. and then I'm like actually that's not a pretty good choice I want to hired Greg McLean. <laughs> like not not a bad option right. so then but I knew that their tone was different than ours you know and and it only reinforced my idea that I go look I got to be realistic here there's going to be a there's going to be people comparing these two movies if I do my job right the movie will come out right. and if I you know get it to that level then of course someone's going to go like just like Belko you know which is fine 'Cause to me I'm going like, we're just kind of burgeoning a new subgenre called work exploitation, you know, because there's oh, gonna funny. be other movies like this. There already are other movies sure. that are in the pipeline. There's Office Uprising, you know, you can say that office space is like maybe the godfather of work exploitation in a way. Sure. But there's enough people that are working in these jobs, you know, especially now in this kind of evil empire that we are currently living in. I mean, isn't the evil empire a product of this
0: disenfranchisement? Exactly. Class? Yeah.
1: So so it feels like there's more than more than not, there's a lot of people out there that are working these jobs, frustrated with those jobs, and wouldn't mind seeing something that gives them a little catharsis mm-hmm. in a way. So that's really what kind of drove me the whole way because I just felt like all right, if I'm if I've gone through this and I've felt this frustrated and depressed and stressed out over this situation that i'm in there's mm-hmm. got to be other people that feel that way and i think that that just comes with
0: any kind of personal story you tell and you had a deliverance from that situation you know cuz i find myself in those situations and it's like this is temporary and you you knew that that job you were in was temporary you know i mean, I mean you never I, know. you never know how long it's going to go Especially but, but like you're with, like but you're like even if i'm only shooting on weekends i am capable of more yeah and exactly. and, and i believe that, that there are people who do not do not have that outlet, do not mm-hmm. have that voice and they do not say even if I'm only shooting on weekends or in writing my yeah. scripts at night, I'm capable of more. I think there are people who are like fuck, this is it. Yeah, it's I'll I'll stay in status and, quo. And I'll stay like, on the fourth and floor. And that is that is hard. It's depressing. And you're watching this and you're just like, "Oh my god, like um you can see how things go south. You can yeah. see how people see you can see why people are obsessed with survival and um you know, it's, it's, a, it's a dialogue that we when we uh, produced Doc of the Dead a few years ago, the documentary mm-hmm. on zombies, um, like just this – I was really obsessed with this idea of, of humanity, of, of us as a culture, a global culture being stuck in those places on a daily basis yet having immediate uh, like uh, access to world – ending disaster imagery which yep. is just going on i mean the fires in california and uh you know what just happened in houston and in puerto rico is like going on and you're sitting there going what would i do when i survive like, yep. like what would i do if i'm who i am today mm-hmm. stuck in this corner and i'm forced to survive on a like carnal visceral yep. like like no level. one no and, one in the
1: movie like i'm i'm sure and that that's kind of why we start the movie out after the little prelude we start the movie out where we're just kind of following Stephen's character into a building, like everybody else. Sure, it's you know you're just part of the fishbowl, and no one on that day I can guarantee, like like everybody does, deals with like natural disasters or or you know tragedies or whatever. No one wakes up going like something bad's going to happen. Of course. Know? So having Stephen be kind of our guide into this world, and also be our everyman was so integral like that was when i got the script the first thing i thought was man i gotta find i gotta find my richard Mm dreyfus i gotta find my everyman and there really isn't many i mean there's there's no one like richard dreyfus of course he's awesome but you know the the richard dreyfus that i i grew up with was the one where everyone could relate to him even when he's playing like a you know a, a psychologist in you know what about bob Mm-hmm. There was still something about him because he was a family man, because he had the decent house, that he still had the troubles with his family and everything. He just felt like, oh, he's normal. But you look at, you know, Jaws, and like he's a scientist, but he does not dress like a scientist. He dresses like he's a fisherman. Right. And you look at him, like he does some emotionally deplorable things in Close Encounters. He abandons his family. absolutely, <laughs> And it, you look at that and you go like, <clears throat> I was trying to explain it to my my older son, what the story was about and he goes i don't want to watch that that sounds horrible you know and i'm yeah. like but imagine
0: it's-. if i would if but I then you, aliens over you
1: yeah but like if you if you if i explain to you without knowing you know it was steven in it or if it was another actor or whatever and i explain the plot to you and, and then how this you know lawyer who's just been um fired from his job decides that he wants to fight fucking kill his way to the top to get his boss you go like man that's mean as hell you know and but with steven in it and because he's so likable and just he just emotes likability no matter what i knew that i could get away with some of the kind of tonally darker things in the movie and most times people go ah, it's just it's just steven it's right. fine i mean the same thing with richard Dreyfus where you watch close encounters and you go like but it 's Richard Dreyfus yeah, you have it's to forgive okay. him. And, and that was the main thing that was a difference between like us and Belko, and personally, I think those movies are a fantastic double feature mm-hmm. um, because they kind of show two sides of the coin you know and and you know i don 't mind the comparisons at all, like and it 's happened plenty of times and and if i didn 't like the movie i 'd probably feel differently about it but knowing that i really enjoy that movie and also see myself in that because i've worked that job too and i'm like oh man that that is that's exactly what it's like in certain yeah. cases but to see how they went one route which is a much more serious and more nihilistic route i wanted to be i wanted to be armageddon i wanted to have fun sure. i wanted i wanted to make this a roller coaster ride that didn't punish you enough to where you'd be like, I need to go sit down now. No, you go. I want to get right back on there and take that ride again. You know, and and a lot of that comes down to tone, and that was reinforced by uh, by Stephen uh, and myself and uh, and Samara Weaving, who is kind of like the other part of the two hander in this, where she plays uh, disgruntled client of of the firm uh, whose house is going to get uh, foreclosed on, and. The firm is the one that kind of can say yay or nay for that to happen. And she gets booted by Steven, not because he's a bad guy. That's just his job, you know, right. like, and it sucks. But that's just that's just the way it goes down. And, and she's usually... like,
0: oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, like, she is kind of like the, the punk rock of, oh. of that thing. Like she's... She, she's like she's like she literally has nothing to lose. She's at this as point. metal as it comes. And
1: she's just like, fuck this. Yep. She does not give a shit. She was in. I don't think I've ever talked about this. So you're getting an exclusive. Sure. There was a point, so, so essentially, so Steven is fired, and then he decides to go up, and they teams up with, uh, with this disgruntled client, and they kind of become buddies as they work their way from floor to floor to floor, and they bond. Uh, they bond over, you know, doing these things. They bond over their favorite bands. Like, they become friends, you know, and I love that. I love the fact that they, they become friends, and not to give anything away, but you, it, it's not like stamped that they're like, and they live happily ever after. You don't quite know. But at one point, and again, spoilers, sorry, but at one point we were kind of toying with the idea that she was in Stephen's head the whole time, that she was his Tyler Durden. Cool. And there was techniques and there were shots and there were little things that I had kind of a a list of that I made, I I called it the the Durden list. In case you wanted to? In case we wanted to go down that route, I would have to do this, 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 and this. Now, is that really, like, honest a way to do it. You know what? Because films are made three times script, production, and in the edit, this was something that I was going to be able to craft both in the production and the edit that felt organic enough if I did it. But you needed the mechanics to work. You needed people yeah. to be
0: like, oh, wait, what, where the, how'd the chair get there? Exactly. <laughs> you, know, yeah, you, you, you needed, needed to, to look to at
1: every scene that they were in together or they were in with someone else and make sure that, like, you know, there's a scene with the, uh, uh, the Reaper, the, the HR mm-hmm. guy. If he looks at her, the, the illusion is gone right. because if you look at Fight Club like they were very strict with that Like you can't l- not look back at what Fincher did with Fight Club and not see how he plugged all the holes so that you can't poke them and especially with the whole idea that Tyler Durden really isn't there and weirdly enough uh, and this was kind of floated around right mm, I think we started talking about it weeks before everyone kind of got there and I just kind of came to me I'm like what about this because once i cast steven and samara she was such a firecracker that i'm just like I, like is she going to be too much you know her character not not right. samara herself but everything that she does is it going to be too over the top for the audience to kind of realize like okay this is a real flesh and blood person so there there was the point where i'm like well if she's so over the top she's kind of like the little yeah, the imaginary well, on shoulder, voice on yeah. your on your shoulder i could get away with her being totally overblown and maybe that would work in the end, maybe about a week into production, when when I came to the point where I was going to have to shoot certain things, certain ways to reinforce that, I scrapped it. And mainly because I didn't want to cheat the audience. I didn't want to make them feel like we just kind of threw a twist in just to throw a twist in, which is, I think, like, after Fight Club did that, it's like anytime anyone tries to do that since, it's kind of like, well, you mean you like Fight Club? It's like,
0: yeah, uh, been it, there, done that. It, yeah, it's hard to not be cute. Like, yeah. it, it, it puts a lot of pressure or on you. Or six Sense, you know. To not be totally cute. And, yeah. it's, and it's been 20 years since both those, uh, 18 years since And like, I still think like, that they, those
1: films did it so well that yeah. it's so hard to kind of ride on the coattails of that. But i truly fell in love platonically i truly fell in love with steven and samara while i watched them work i mean steven we had already cast um months before we shot you know like he he was cast in like september no no i'm sorry like december and then we we ended up starting shooting in march samara was cast maybe four weeks before we shot and that was just based on the logistics of things like i got to serbia that's where we shot it and I, like we had to hit the ground running, so it was like okay, location scouts and production design meetings. Oh, by the way, you also have to do casting via Skype. It was just part of my day. It was it was crazy, um, but it was gratifying because we were like, there was no no time for chit chat. There was no time for love, Doctor Jones. We were we were moving. So when I met Samara over Skype, and I had already been a fan of hers from Ash versus Evil Dead. Sure. like I was like, holy crap, who is that? And then hearing that she was the babysitter because I read that script. Like I was up for it at one point and uh when i read when i found out that she was the babysitter i'm like okay if she was able to pull off that part i think we can we can play together but then it 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 took them sitting down together at dinner for me to go like here we go I'm like this could yeah. be this could make or break the movie and they immediately clicked but every day that they were on set there was an alchemy it's not even chemistry it was like magic it was, i i've very rarely seen this happen before but to watch these two embody these parts and, and get along so well, both on camera and off camera, it's like the sort of thing that you just you pray as a director that everybody gets along and everyone's got good chemistry and they they're pushing each other. It's mm-hmm. not like you say your lines. I say my lines. We go to lunch like they were challenging each other every day.
0: It felt like there, like they were they had some kind of a an ad lib in communication in there oh, that they were like hey what
1: if we try this what if we try that all the time but it was it was something that I kind of professed from the beginning I said like look if if there's a moment that you feel needs to be made more you as long as we're getting the intentions of the lines out you don't start veering off into like we should just get on a boat and go no yeah, no, no 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 boats. boats the the plot keep, and the character it, beats have to be keep hit keep it real like for example. Um, you know the scene in the bathroom when they're just talking about their three favorite bands. Right. That was I. I, I don't. I don't want to say that it was improv because what happened was uh, we were moving so fast, and my my DP Steve Gaynor, uh, who was very very smart, he was like, we could go upstairs because we only shot on three floors, so we would constantly have to redress the floors as we go to
0: make the whole to make it feel 40, like it's ten. It's yeah. it's
1: actually ten. Forty's good. Yeah. I like forty. Forty's better. That'll be the sequel.
0: It'll be on fire
1: too. We can make that happen, yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> we, we just thought, like, we can get more done on the next day if we don't have to pre-light. If we pre-light now, we don't have to wait that extra 40 minutes in the morning. We can just jump in and just start shooting. So you
0: had a swing crew lighting the lighting
1: the next floor that you were going to yeah. go to. So what yeah. we did was we went upstairs and we had, like, you know, we wrapped for the day. And... uh And we were like, let's just go upstairs really quick. It'll take half an hour, but let's figure out exactly where the camera needs to be and so that my grip guys can put the lights exactly where they are.
0: It's four or five shots in the scene. Yeah, exactly.
1: And thankfully, Stephen and Samara were like, well, the van's not here yet to take us back to to the hotel. So let's hang out. So we ended up all going upstairs, and instead of using stand-ins, they stood in for themselves.
0: It was a scene that you were going to shoot for the next day. In the original
1: script, it says, like, uh, uh, Derek and Melanie are waiting for one of the bosses to use the elevator, so they're hiding out. And it just says, they wait. Got it cut to something else then cut back to them saying like oh man it's only four hours yeah, so to go was we gotta be, go it was gonna
0: be like a, it was gonna be like a one or two glue shot and at, then you at the, into a scene at the
1: most great at the most it was just gonna be them waiting silence but something always nagged me about that I've just felt like here's a moment that if I shoot it the way it says it in the script and this is no detriment to, to Matias at all it just it, it right there it just felt like it was just kind of flat to miss opportunity to build these yeah Yeah. so and and i was falling in love with them so much and i saw the potential of their camaraderie together on screen i just it was sitting there going like i want to give them more so i threw out to them i'm like top three bands go top three bands go and miraculously and i knew them enough to know that like okay what they really liked and what they didn't like shockingly they started coming up with the bands that they loved but it wasn't their
0: favorite bands it was the characters favorite. that's the bands. most important part you don't want and anybody, i'm sitting yeah. there just like
1: oh this is gold because like, now, now you're is what thinking you about, about how you're going
0: to throw the the music back in the references back in so, and just be like okay this is gonna be a great scene we can use that music in this later scene well that like
1: that was that was kind of planned kind of not planned like i i, I knew I make playlists for all my characters anyway, like just based on Scripts what I characters. think. Uh, for, the characters. for characters? Yeah, wow. For the characters. Yeah, for the characters. So I try to make like a, a Spotify or, or even just like a... C- I used to make CDs, but now no one uses CDs. So
0: sure. I would make
1: these kind of playlists. And Derek, to me, seemed like a, a child who grew up in the 90s who listened to a lot of like that alt rock that was on K-Rock all the time and would be fans of bands like... Faith No More, you know, and stuff like that. And then Samara, we, we kind of built a backstory that she had two brothers who were into metal and she just kind of fell into it and that's how she became a metalhead. So when they were kind of spitting out these these bands, I was like, man, this is so inspiring to see them bring these characters to life right here. This is it. This is my scene. Ran home, wrote out pretty much everything I heard and kind of, you know, moved things around a little bit embellished here and there and stuff. Because Steven actually started talking about how you know this one particular band always gets shit on and he's like that's not fair you know so i came back and handed them these three pages the next day not even not even 12 hours later i'm handing them three more pages of dialogue now in most cases most actors would go no um, no yeah. not, that you're throwing me off like can't do it both steven and samara had worked copiously in television and they they were used to especially steven steven was used to rewrites within the hour you know, he was sure. used to being handed pages like that were rewritten, r- like right over there by Scott Gimple. You know, mm-hmm. so he, both of them were just so game; they were so ready to, to like jump in that I handed him those, those pages. They looked at it once and they made it their own. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Like I know that like there's there's a lot of crazy shit that happens in this movie. There's blood. There's violence. There's action. There's suspense. There's True. Yeah. all of that, but. Yeah. That scene is the scene that I fell in love both with the characters and the movie. And and many people who've seen the movie say that was the moment where I went, like, I now
0: know the movie and I want to hang out with these people. Well, you need the breath scenes because – You need I, like, like, I mean, from the, from the like, jump, you were going at, like, a pretty frenetic pace in this mm-hmm. movie. And it's like, oh, whoosh, 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 whoosh. You got a lot of camera moves in here. You're really throwing us a lot of information really quickly. Oh, so yeah. So be ready for that, is and then the pace doesn't relent you need those breath moments where it's to. like hey you're going you're going to be able to do a little bit of that um, that emotional math here and catch up and get your breath cuz it's like the click 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 part of the roller coaster yeah. yep like, click 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 get click, your and, and like, then there's oh, that moment okay, where you go. do
1: the loop to loop and then you did the you do the second ramp where <laughs> it's just like just that one
0: moment it's like tick, 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 and you're like oh i can breathe oh ah! yeah. Yeah. I mean, again but weird. It's all design, and it's really important, and it's and it felt natural. It pacing didn't feel wise, like
1: pacing wise, you just need something like that because otherwise, you just exhaust your audience by right. the end, and and that that's the worst thing that could happen because then it means that like fifteen minutes before the movie's over, they're like, "We're done, we're, we're good." So I needed to kind of parcel things out, and I mean that scene kind of changed everything for for us, for me, for for the whole movie because. It just it it grounded it. It made it feel like, as ludicrous as this idea is, these are st- still real people, mm-hmm. and they have the same likes as you. They love the same bands you do. They like. They make the same references. There's a risky business reference in there that like four but people that was get, good. But, but but people that was really get it. Good. And you know, there's there's a, a joke. It's so weird. There's a joke in the movie that always seems to bind the audience together. Whenever I see it with a crowd mm-hmm. and. uh, it was born purely out of uh, out of inspiration, so to speak, and a joint where uh, we were in ADR, and we had to do all this all this dialogue like in the background. And in most cases, it's a bunch of people going like, <laughs> like it's, just, sure. it's walla, you know. But I knew that you know we're going to be mixing this in five point one, and there are going to be people who are going to listen to this with like good speakers and everything. I wanted to kind of create a world around them that felt like. The people were really there and it wasn't just like canned screams and canned yells and stuff. So we brought in this ADR group and this is well after the movie's been cut. So, you know, we were kind of past the stage of it being like creatively cut, but it was still kind of coming around. So uh, we had this loop group come in. It was like people and they're all super talented all these great actors and we're going through all these lines that that I knew I needed but then what's great is that you have these actors who love to do improv or love to be inspired and I'll throw stuff out at them so then we called lunch we come back from lunch and this one guy came in you can just kind of tell like he's got some ideas no he he baked up in the car during lunch so he's coming in (laughs) a
0: little high he's gonna play that guy in the office yeah well
1: I took full advantage of that and I was like dude seen Half Baked, right? He's like, oh,
0: I've seen Half Baked. So I'm like, <laughs> he just
1: lived this. You know the, you know the fuck you joke? He's like, oh, yeah. So then he does this joke that only people who've ever seen the Tamra Davis, uh, Dave Chappelle, sure. stoner comedy classic uh, Half Baked would get. <laughs> and I honestly thought that only people who, like, I thought maybe three people would get the joke. And I also thought that because of the mix, it would just kind of get lost. Sure. Every single dude, every single screening, and we've done about Eighteen or nineteen festivals at this point that I've been to, and many others
0: around the world. Every single time, somebody's every single it.
1: time, there's the moment where someone you 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 hear it, and there's something else going on on screen. So you're supposed to focus on what's going on on screen, but in the background you hear "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, <laughs> fuck you, I'm out." And again, it was totally throwaway. It was a spur of the moment thing that I that I foisted on on some adr guy who did it with no problem at all and ends up being one of the biggest laughs in the movie well, at least when we screen it it's like god damn it like
0: that's that's the movie magic that's it, what we're all trying to chase it feels like your connection to this movie is uh not not to like even attempt to dis- like disparage your other movies but it seems like this is the one that that i mean you felt the most connected with and um again we we talked earlier about like how we grew up on so many references that, that uh, it's hard to not just re- like write love letters or do regurgitations of what we've seen or our influences and stuff. And, and we see it now on the biggest scales when some of the movies that we have in as, as summer blockbusters are remakes and mm-hmm. it's like well shit. Requels. It, it, it's regurgitation like sequels. and We're just sitting there going like, is our culture just going to be people eating their own stuff over That's, and over again and puking it up and yeah. eating it again and we, we kind of can't go down that route and because, I mean, is it? I mean, it comes out of this. I guess risk mitigation of like it worked before, so mm-hmm. we'll do it again. Of but course, where's the artistic voice? And and I kind of love that uh, you're this connected to the material that that uh, that you're able to do these small references because a lot of filmmakers j- would just lose consciousness and uh, like lo- lose the confidence and be like, I'm not putting it in there because nobody's going to get it, so why am I going to waste time? I, with this,
1: I, I had a real method approach to directing this movie where I there were days that I would go like, what would I do if I was infected with the virus? Yeah, fuck like, it all. Like, I would seriously just like throw caution to the wind and just say, you know what, I'm not worried about what anyone's going to think about it. This Because this is so personal to me, I'm going to make my actors do a risky business reference sure. because I talk like that. And there are moments, like, we've all done that, where we've said a quote from something, you know, where it's like, I love you, I know. And you know... That if you say that to a significant other, whether it's your first date or, like, you're later on into the relationship, you know from that moment you're like, Star Wars fan, hell yeah, we're getting married. Right. Like, it's that language that we use, that pop, pop pop culture language that we've grown up on. It's just our language. That's just part of the lexicon that we use to communicate. So when right. we're using that, like, I, I use it a lot of times just to kind of make a funny or whatever but when you know that someone kind of got it you go like okay we're on the same wavelength yeah. you know we park our cars in the same garage to quote fucking t- uh, <laughs> true romance and like like you were saying before about you know references and stuff i th- this movie more than ever is the hardest movie for me to directly say like i and i've been doing press for the movie you know and every time it comes up it's like what were your influences on the movie and i'm it's Kind of really hard for me to p- pinpoint like direct references. Say, other say, than just say Belko experiment, <laughs> it was it's a Belko experiment <laughs> meets uh the Gardens of the Galaxy. <laughs> no, I'm no. ripping off James left and right, even his hairstyle. No, uh, please finish. But <laughs> but it's it, you know the only ones that I can truly think of, and they were f- purely from like a um like a practical stance, yeah. was um Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. and that was mainly because uh I was looking for a practical way to not show the outside. And I yep. remember watching that movie and going like in the in the bullpen when you know Leo's doing his dancing and Jonah Hill's doing Coke and, and you're spending a lot of time in this huge room in in Scorsese's movie, and in my head, I always thought that that, that it had huge scope and you probably saw outside the windows and stuff nope all the all the blinds are closed. so they're in a sound stage. You'd never know it. I never knew it, and i'm I look for that shit when right. I watch it totally so that was the that was the thing that made me go to my production designer. We need blinds over all of this. Well, why? Like, I can't look at Serbia. Like, we're not in Serbia. We're in any town USA. And and at first I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to CG all this shit out. And I also have to – I can't shoot that way and I can't shoot that way. Easy fix thanks to Wolf of Wall Street. Put blinds there. And then tonally with the music – I just kept thinking about how Kubrick used music in a very unique way in uh, Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And really, it's so weird because like, for Wrong Turn 2 and for Everly and Nights of Badass and Chilorama and everything else, I can name twelve reference, like 12 movies that inspired each of those films. But I think that's also because, like I said earlier, those are movies that I wanted to make because I was chasing the same feelings that I got when I watched those movies, you know? the the same uh, I I wanted to kind of this is gonna sound weird but I wanted to steal the same thunder that those movies had you know like and then and that's you know it's not a it's not a disparaging thing it's not a nefarious you know approach to it it's just that like we all as artists when we see something that inspires us we go like I want to do that Mm -hmm. like I I want to elicit the same response like.
0: You know, um, I wanted to show my friends like, hey, isn't, don't you guys think this is cool? This well, is cool, I, right? Like, this I used to awesome. do that
1: when I was when I was in high school. I would take two VCRs and put them together, and I would make remixes mm-hmm. of my favorite scenes in movies, but I'd remix it to different music. So you haven't lived life until you've seen the ending <laughs> of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome set to Tribe Called Quest's scenario. That's awesome. It's awesome, but like it's it's that reappropriation that you were talking mm-hmm. about, where we're just kind of regurgitating things that we've loved in the past with mayhem. Because it came from a very personal place, I think that was really my main inspiration. That was my, I was able to kind of go, all right, my time at this job, that's the reference. And, you know, the feeling that I got when I was feeling like crap doing that job, that was the reference. And how did I feel when I was in the office of the boss and I got fired at this job? Which never really happened, thank God. But, like, I know the feeling when you're sitting there. And your seat doesn't work, and you know that someone's going to get fired, and you, God, you hope it's not you, and you do anything in your power to, to to stay alive, so to speak. All of that stuff came from a real place, so that's where I feel like that's where I think this this movie kind of differentiates from my last ones, and it's definitely informed me for my new my, all my new stuff or any of my new stuff that I'm going to do is like find find the find the place where it's real for you. Don't find a, a good
0: reference, right? Well, uh, the movie, is again, it's called Mayhem. It comes out November 10th. Geekscape is going to be in some select theaters. It's also going to be on VOD. So I know you guys who are loving uh, playing video games. VOD, and iTunes. Stuff, like, it, it's definitely going to be out there. It. Just just watch it legally.
1: Don't uh, steal it. Please, don't be, don't be guys, an asshole. My kids
0: just, need to eat. We just talked about what Joe goes through and what every like filmmaker that is not making Marvel movies is going through. So please, like, do not download this movie. Or, um, or Stephen and Samara will come to your house and find you, which which some would probably go like, "Well, fine, I'll steal it right now for them to come by." But uh, but yeah, they they will come and they will find you and kill you. One quick thing I wanted to add because I almost forgot it was I have a Joe Lynch story that is Uh-oh. tied into Geekscape. No, it's it's we uh, at Comic Con each summer, and one summer they they told this on the Geekscape Games podcast. Um, uh, Shane and Derek were drunk at like the Hard Rock party, with, <laughs> with, you know the Hard Rock party at Comic Con every year. And it was, I think El Rey had something to do with that party. It was one of the Dustal Dawn things. And yeah. they came up to you and they talk about this on the podcast. And they were like, so we went up to this guy and we were like, dude, we love your fucking movies. And the guy was super nice and friendly and was like, great. I'm glad you guys like my movies. And he was like, yeah, Desperado in high school was like really big for me. They thought you were Robert Rodriguez. I take that as high and praise. I'm sorry. I like I- I'm listening to this story horrified just like (laughs) what the fuck well well Rodriguez has
1: gone from his cowboy hat phase to
0: his baseball baseball hat
1: phase and we just happen to enjoy the same Kangol black or navy blue hats (laughs) and I guess we have somewhat of a, a similar at least facial structure he's much more built than I than I am or have ever been uh to the point where we've joked about it when we've seen each other at the masses of heart masters of horror dinners sure uh that i've been so gracious to go to whenever he's in town he goes and we always make sure that we get a picture with ourselves like like together because then it starts to like screw people up a little bit but uh but yeah, hey look if i'm gonna get compared to somebody i would i would not have a problem with being compared to robert rodriguez
0: well Derek and shane you guys are off the hook uh you can listen to the Geekscape Games podcast on Geekscape. You're saved, boys. Net, it's okay. You guys are off the hook. I wanted I wanted I wanted you guys to be in trouble, but you're off the hook. Uh Joe, it's been awesome having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh again, guys, the show the movie's called Mayhem. It comes out November 10th. We could talk a whole lot more because there's so much more that you can have you're just gonna have to come back for the I'm next just gonna movie have to make another movie for me to come back. It's Let's not a problem. It. Give me that excuse. I will do it. <laughs> Geekscape is we love you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. Just search for Geekscape. I uh, would love to have you guys be part of the discussion and come on and tell us what you think of this episode and tell your friends and all that. Uh, we're here every single week. And uh, Joe, we can find you on Twitter, social media, all that stuff. At the Joe Lynch on Twitter
1: and Instagram. You can follow uh, the uh, at the Movie uh, at Movie Crypt, which is uh, our podcast, uh, which just so happens to have Steven on this week, his only interview that he's That's done. That's awesome. So, uh, boy, did he get deep. Shit got deep.
0: We didn't even talk about our mutual friend, Sean Becker. Love oh sean's the sweetest guy i want to i, want, I just talked to him god damn I'll it tell him i want to rescue him from geek and sundry not that i don't love geek and sundry but i want him to be making movies i love him so much i know much. i know um not that he needs rescue he loves it there but it's like fuck i'll take his job i want his brain like i want his brain to be on screen more sean becker for you guys to, to all enjoy well and if you want he did uh, the guild so he directed the guild for those of you he's who, in uh them. you know adam green has a halloween
1: short that yeah. he does every year uh becker's in that he actually he he's part of that as well i don't want to give too much away but you got to take a look at it
0: geeks game is look for that one um and look for us next week uh and of course on the 10th of november look for mayhem in theaters on vod we love you guys we will see you next week peace